Hello, my name is Bill Real, and someone's probably shared this with you, this episode. I'm a Latter-day Saint, and I'm a Latter-day Saint who has been through a, what I would call traumatic faith shift, a faith crisis per se. And often when folks go through this kind of shift, their loved ones are hurt and they don't know how to approach uh, this situation and they don't know what to say or what to do or how to help, but they want to help. And, and so at one time or another, folks in this transition get asked about where they're spending their time and energy. So your loved one whose faith has shifted, like you can sense like my faith is solid and I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing and I've had spiritual experiences within Mormonism. And so what my loved one whose faith has fallen apart, what they need to do is they need to get back to the basics and they need to read more and pray more. You, you sense within you that your loved one somehow has fallen off the path, that they've become wayward. And today what my hope is that you can sit with this audio podcast and allow your loved one to be heard because this is their message. It's the reason they're sharing it with you. While those are your feelings and your thoughts, they don't represent accurately what's happened to your loved one. Often in Mormonism, we distance ourselves from the stories of others when the stories of others are different than ours. Like we love and we love to serve others. But anytime that person is different than us, we get really uncomfortable and we tend to put distance between them and us. We kind of realize like, oh my goodness, they're in a hole and I don't want to be in the hole. So I can't get that close. I have to now love them or serve them from some distance. Again, this manifests itself sometimes in you deciding what their true story is, rather than honoring them telling you or sharing with you their truth. And my t- today, my hope is that you can sit with some of the things I have to say, and that you might come to understand like why they've had this shift. And it doesn't mean you have to uh, put your own testimony in jeopardy. It doesn't mean that you have to come out the other side agreeing with them. It only asks that you sit with them, that you hear them, and that you make space that their journey is unique and different than yours, and that they've arrived at their perspective honestly, that they had no other choice than to believe what they now believe. So I want to frame it this way. People have often often asked me, Bill, have you spent as much time reading positive information as you do the critical information on the issues that surround the truth claims of the church? And you can take this in a lot of directions. Bill, do you pray like you used to pray? Bill, do you read the scriptures like you used to read the scriptures? Because we sense like if the person just kept doing what they were doing, they would be fine. But the reality is that it's what they did. It's doing the praying and the reading and the studying. 
it's that process that led them uniquely in the direction they now find themselves. So I want to talk a little bit about some of those answers to that kind of overarching question. And I hope that you don't just hear my answer, but that you feel it. I speak only for myself, but my guess is that your loved one, their story is similar. And it's, it's the way I'm framing this that they see as valuable for you to hear because it speaks to their story. I've read the Book of Mormon. I've read it over a dozen times in my life, all the way through. And then I've read it from its pages thousands upon thousands of times. I joined the church as a convert at 17, and by the age of 29, I was called to serve as a bishop. I've read the New Testament all the way through multiple times. I've read the Old Testament all the way through multiple times. I understand the scriptures. I have read and thought about the teachings on those pages so deeply and was one who pondered the scriptures continuously. I read all the correlated manuals. I would order all the institute books from the distribution center. I would order any kind of manual or book that I could get my hands on from the church and read them. I wanted to know this religion that I loved. I wanted to know it intimately. I wanted to know all about it. Every moment in its history, its theology, doctrine, and practice, it was important to me to understand its story and to understand its story inside and out. I read the periodicals, the Enzyme. I even would uh, look at the, the children's magazines of the New Era, The Friend. I would read books like Jesus the Christ multiple times, the Articles of Faith, the Great Apostasy. I read Our Heritage over and over. I read Truth Restored. I read Talmadge and McConkie and Joseph Fielding Smith. I read everything. I read the motivational guys like Wilcox and Millet and Robinson and so many others. I have a huge LDS library, hundreds of books, no doubt whatsoever. I've read as much faithful material as essentially most of the members of the church, and I've read the critical material too. I wanted to know both sides. I wanted to know the whole story. Are there folks out there who have read more than me? Sure, but not many. I've read everything in Mormonism I could get my hands on. You see, knowing all that information and chasing all that information back to the original sources, Brigham Young's discourses, the journals of the early leaders of the church, the journals of the early members of the church, the different writings of B.H. Roberts, etc., etc., I loved to go find where these quotes came from. And if the faithful said something, I wanted to make sure that that's the way they said it. And if the critic claimed that an early member said or did something, I wanted to make sure that the critic was being honest to the data. Sometimes they weren't. And sometimes, too, the church doesn't tell the story accurately either. You see, we like to point to the critics as inaccurate, And we like to say they intentionally deceive and share things out of context. And I'm going to agree that on a small level, that's true. There are some critics who have taken some of the data out of context, who have taken some of the quotes or some of the points 
and tried to make them as scandalous as possible. But the fact of the matter is, having read both sides deeply and intimately, you, you need to hear this. It's the institutional church that is the most inaccurate about its story. It is the church that withholds info most deeply, that tells false faith-promoting stories in more plenty, and whitewashes at every turn. Such is demonstrable. It is not even close. But because you know that your loved one has fallen away, because you know that right now, this guy talking to you, he has to be wrong. You're confident that you are right and likely will avoid diving as deeply as I have. But to show just how inaccurate the church has been, would you please take some time to read a few books? Will you read a few things that will help you understand that if you understand the correlated material shared in the three-hour block every week, that you likely don't know a thousandth of Mormon history? Would you start with these books? Would you go find Richard Bushman's Rough Stone Rolling? Bushman is a well-respected, active, faithful Latter-day Saint scholar. He served as a stake president. He currently holds the office of patriarch in the church. He is sought out by general authorities when they have historical questions. I personally have spoken to Elder Holland, who has intimated to me that when he has questions, he goes and sees Richard Bushman. His book is a well-written book about Joseph Smith, again titled Rough Stone Rolling. Would you take time to read that? That will help you understand the complexity of the life of Joseph Smith. Would you also go get D. Michael Quinn's book, Early Mormonism in the Magic Worldview? This book is a quick read. Take a few hours to soak in just how much folk magic was involved in Joseph Smith in his early youth and in his family. Try to see how much our early church history is tied in knots with the Smith family practice of folk magic. When Quinn wrote these books, he was a church historian, working with Leonard Arrington, who held the position of church historian within our church. He was a professor at BYU. This guy knows his stuff. Would you take some time to understand the early history of our church? Would you also perhaps take time to read D. Michael Quinn, Origins of Power and Extensions of Power? These two books will help you invariably see behind the curtain into the day-to-day -day scenes and operations of LDS church leaders. It helps you see how the church operates, how it makes the decisions it makes, with D. Michael Quinn having access to and sharing with you the minutes from many of these meetings behind the scenes. Lastly, would you read Grant Palmer, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins? Grant Palmer was a CES uh, teacher inside the church who did extensive studies into how we have the Book of Mormon of today. And this book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, this book was for sale at Deseret Book at one time. This book shares with you how each of the parts and pieces of the Book of Mormon came to be, or at least the best, most rational explanation for where these parts and pieces come from. This book will help you see what went into creating the sacred text of our faith. It's a must-read. Start with those. If you're serious about your faith, then take a few hours and set aside the story 
that your church told you about itself and really get to know what our history really looks like. Would you also consider reading the Mormon Primer? Mormon Primer is found at mormonprimer.com. And from there, you can download the PDF and you can read it. The Primer is a document designed to share with you the most difficult issues, but not to just give you the critical view and the problems, but also to help you understand how Orthodox Latter-day Saints frame these issues, how apologists defend the church against them, and in the end, when we take in all the data, how one who stays in the church now has to hold a new reconciled view. Three of the four perspectives in this document are faithful, active church uh, perspectives. And so you can read this document and recognize that you're not just going to have all the problems thrown at you, but you're also going to have the data and tools and resources available to help you understand these issues in a way that allows you to continue to be a believing, active Latter-day Saint. You see, the church and its speakers have painted a picture that doubts can be resolved. But I want to share with you, for every thousand members, Orthodox members, who have a faith crisis in the way that I have and the way that your loved one have, very, very few are able to put it back together in the way that it was. To call them broken, to say they're less than or wayward or the tares among the wheat, those things aren't appropriate. They're hurtful because this person went through this process only doing what they could do, only believing what they could believe. The data, the facts, the information, it changed their perspective. The problem is this, if the evidence was 50-50 in favor of the church being what it claims versus not, then most people could continue in faith. In fact, what we want to be true often has more power in our thinking than what is actually true. For instance, take a look at ideas such as confirmation bias, belief persistence, and the backfire effect. These psychological phenomenons play deeply into how willing our brains are to let go of comfortable but false notions. In other words, we're not. We're not comfortable letting go of false notions if those notions keep us comfortable. It takes a lot more negative information for people to truly move generally and change their beliefs. In other words, if the evidence were 50-50, people in the church want so bad for it to be what it was claimed to be, that the far majority would be able to continue in belief having faith. The problem is the evidence is not 50-50. By the way, this works the same way with folks in other religions as well. It is overwhelmingly the data is overwhelmingly against the church's narrative. So for every thousand people who dive deep into these issues, 90, 95% or more lose confidence in the narrative they were told about the church. You likely don't know these issues yet. And to be honest, often it feels like deep down, you really don't want to know these issues. When a loved one comes to Somebody and says, like, my faith has shifted, and I just want to be heard. I want to be understood. So often, the pushback is, I don't want to go there. I don't want to read the things you're talking about. I don't want to know.
But if we're going to get to the truth, we have to be willing to hear all sides. We have to be willing to sit with the data and ask ourselves, what sounds most reasonable? What sounds most logical? How do these things go together? What is the best explanation? These issues are so messy and they take hours and hours to deconstruct the story the church told you versus the truth. That one has to be serious about what they really want to know. And if they are willing to put the time in, it will take you years if you are a voracious reader and decades if you do this in your spare time. Would you even do that with one issue among 5,000? Let's see. There's an issue with the book of Abraham. The church claims that Joseph Smith translated Egyptian papyri. At least that's what it used to claim. It now recognizes through its new gospel topics essay that came out a few years ago that things are way more complicated than the church originally told us. The church acknowledges that Joseph seems to not translate the Egyptian language correctly, seems to not translate the facsimiles correctly, that the writings are not literally the writings of Abraham written by his own hand, and that most likely, based on the data, the Egyptian papyri has no relationship to Abraham. So once you understand the story and the problems and the solutions that the church offers, a majority of folks who read this data can't reconcile it. There is no faithful solution that is without problems. Where this episode is published, there will be a link, a list of links, of five or six or seven easy reads, a couple of quick videos, so that you can understand this issue completely. You can understand both sides of the argument, understand what the data is, where the data goes, and you can make your own decision. Would you do that? Do you care enough about your loved one that you'll spend the time needed on one issue to understand how messy it is? And to recognize that there are 50 more articles on this issue to read, but that such will give you a start. Do you sense that the story is not what the church generally claimed after you get done looking at these? And now, knowing that the church has retreated and concedes points that Joseph assuredly was not translating accurately the Egyptian, and that the document is not what he claimed, now take the solutions they give, such as a missing scroll or a catalyst theory, and try to be rational. Do you see the problems that those solutions have too? What is the most reasonable conclusion? And now recognize that there are 5,000 other issues with just as much to read and understand and know to recognize that the evidence is just as problematic on those other 5,000 issues. And yes, I've read it. Have you? Can you see why folks like me who have read literally everything throw in the towel? The church makes a whole lot more sense through the lens of being a fictional creation from a brilliant mind. And all the leaders after that brilliant mind, being men who are older, who grew up in cultures far behind them, who tend to be 40 to 50 years behind on social issues, and who unfortunately have zero access to God magic. Once you try that lens on, it made sense for your loved one. We can all choose belief in it, 
But can you sense that such a choice becomes irrational and illogical at worst, and at best less rational and less logical than the losing or changing of belief that your loved one has experienced as they've gone down the rabbit hole? If you want the other issues, read the Mormon Primer or the CES letter. Again, mormonprimer.com, cesletter.org. You can read those two documents and understand generally the gist of all these issues. But please don't stop there. The CES letter is written by somebody who has left the church. And I know it'll be easy to say in places, this person, this stuff is just anti-material. This stuff isn't true. The reality is this stuff is true. These issues are real. But don't take his conclusions. Chase down the sources chase down where the information is presented. Weigh the data on both sides yourself. The question is, do you really want to know? Now, sensing that I've read every positive article and book on the Book of Abraham issue, and I have read the critical argument on those 50 more that I mention, do you grasp that the critic has the more rational, reasonable explanation? And the problems are too big for my brain or the brain of your friend to overcome if we choose to be logical and rational. The church does not have a satisfactory answer beyond have faith, which you can grasp that such a phrase as have faith is another way to tell someone to make space for the irrational answer rather than they too accept the most logical, rational conclusion. Have faith while it sounds beautiful, is irrational thinking, knowing the evidence is against you. For instance, take yourself out of Mormonism for an instance. Say you are looking into the faith of Jehovah's Witnesses. Say you're studying their religion, and say you sense that something isn't right there, that there's problems, problems too big to overcome, and a member of their religion says you just have to have faith. Can you see how that's a way to dismiss the questions? That's a way to deflect the problems? That the reality is have faith is a way of saying, yes, I know these things don't add up, but continue believing anyway. Now, sense how much more there is to read that I have read, and you and everyone saying have faith, and you haven't read. Plus, I've read the footnotes. I chased the sources down. I am always looking for the rational and logical explanation, and I have read everything pro and con. I know these issues inside and out, but as a believing member, you and others dismiss my knowledge because you have comfortable beliefs you want to maintain, and you sense deep down just how much is at risk in the deep need to maintain belief even if the evidence is against your view. I dare you to dive into this deeply. But please don't if you sense that the risk is too great or too uncomfortable. You see, the truth is all that ever mattered to me. To anyone who says otherwise, they simply don't know me. The church would like you to think that most people who go down this rabbit hole find a way to reconcile it. That's not true. The far and wide majority who dive into this distance themselves from orthodoxy and many step away. First, they stay 
trying to encourage the culture to be better, trying to encourage the institution and its leaders to be vulnerable to the unhealthiness that is present here. They slowly deconstruct the things they've been told, trying to find the truth. And this truth changes their faith. It changes their beliefs. They try to gently move the church towards being better, but little by little it falls apart and the majority of them within five years step away. Now, are there a handful who make it work and know the problems and maintain faith? Sure, but also grant in that same breath that every religion has such. People who know the history of that religion intimately and who find ways to make belief remain, and that having such is not evidence, nor should it be something one places confidence in. Lastly, I share that most of these folks acknowledge those who understand the issues and who stay claiming belief. These folks acknowledge more problems privately than they maintain publicly. I've had conversations with them. Let me know if you want another issue to study out. Feel free to email me at billrealjr at gmail.com. That's B-I-L-L-R-E-E-L-J-R at gmail.com. Trust me, not one facet of our story is the way the church taught it. But by all means, don't take my word for it. You may see what I've said today as harsh, but my hope is that you will understand that this is the experience of your loved one, and that when two people disagree, that there's going to be some discomfort. The value here is in trying to understand that your loved one deeply understands both sides of the story, and they're begging for you to try and understand the side that you don't. Can you sit with someone who's different than you, trying to understand and validate and, and honor their perspective, even if it isn't your own? Can you make an effort to try and understand where they're coming from? We shall see.